Welcome to the People of Packaging Podcast, brought to you by Specrite. Specrite wants you to envision a world without waste. Join the movement at specrite.com backslash PKG. Hey, that's right. It's another episode of the People of Packaging Podcast. I'm your host with the Holy Ghost, the Packaging Pastor, Adam Peak. You can find me on TikTok at Packaging Pastor or on LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Adam Peak. Wanted to talk real quickly about a new sponsor for our podcast, Spark Packaging. Are you sick and tired of the same positions at your plant constantly being open or just not being filled? Maybe your facility just isn't retaining talent due to not having dedicated recruitment support. If you need contract to hire support, or you are looking to hire directly for industry professionals, Spark Packaging can help. Spark Packaging is the industry partner who provides all your recruitment and staffing needs. And and basically, listen, we all know we need a lot of that right now. If you're one of those people hearing this and thinking, hey, wait a second, that's me, then you can go to sparkpackaginginc.com backslash hiring. Once again, that's sparkpackaginginc.com backslash hiring and answer some of their questions. Once received, a Spark team member will reach out ASAP. And hey, if you get there, just tell them that I sent you. That would be awesome. Thanks so much. And let's get to this next episode. Hey, everyone. I am here with Pat Schnettler. Pat is the co-founder of 12 Tides, and we are going to learn all about not only their product and and his journey and building this company, but we're going to take a dive into composting and compostable packaging and taking the perspective, not from maybe somebody who makes compostable packaging, but from someone who's really trying to innovate around zero waste and, and drive compostable packaging from the brand owner side. So I'm really excited for this. I hope you're excited for this. And most importantly, Pat, I hope you're excited. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I ask this question a lot. Uh, how many packaging podcasts have you been on this week? Is it uh, is this number one? Yeah, this yeah. would be number one. Perfect, perfect. All time too. You haven't you haven't made your rounds yet. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's not there's not too many of us out there, but we're we're growing. It's a growing legion of packaging podcast <laughs> creators. Uh, Should be. So, it's an important topic. I think so too. I I happen to really love it. So why don't you uh, do a quick introduction of, of yourself, you know, kind of where you live and how did you get to a point where you said, I need to make a company and it's going to be kelp chips. Would love to hear about, about that kind of, kind of your origin story. If you were a, if you were a sustainability superhero, what would be your origin story? Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm one of the co-founders of 12 Tides. We source organic kelp from regenerative ocean farms here in the U.S., make tasty and ocean-positive foods. Uh, I got started in this after I spent a number of years in big seafood. I worked on 100-meter factory trawling vessels in Alaska to scallop harvesters on the East Coast, a fish farm in Mexico, shrimp farms in Indonesia and everything in between. And I saw all of the horrifying parts of the world of global seafood, um, in particular with respect to the impact it has on the oceans. And I grew up in a pretty ultra conservationist family. My 
mom worked for the Nature Conservancy, um, you know, for most of her career, and and I uh, started scuba diving when I was uh, 12 years old. So, um, yeah, it didn't sit particularly well with me. And I started to meet some people who were growing kelp on these sort of regenerative ocean farms. And so I thought the idea that we can grow nutrient-dense food with zero inputs and have a net positive impact on surrounding marine ecosystems was very compelling. It should be a much bigger part of the food system. That's awesome. So, uh, and that's kind of, I was going to ask you to maybe better define, you said it's it's regenerative, um, what, how did, what did you call it? Regenerative ocean? Regenerative ocean farm. Regenerative ocean farm. So pretend like I've never heard that phrase before because I haven't. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm in, I'm in sixth grade. So what, what is that? What, what does that mean to have a regenerative ocean farm? And it's, I mean, it sounds awesome. Uh, it sounds like it's, it's maybe a little, there's some self-sustaining comportion or components to it. It's, it's climate positive, you know, kind of walk me through what is a regenerative ocean farm and maybe what isn't, what was maybe some of the examples you saw that were, were so egregious that, you know, without, you know, naming anything terrible, I don't, I don't know, but like, why, why do we need that instead of the alternative? Yeah, well, I'll start by defining the term regenerative. Um, in that most of everything that I was involved, whether it's fish farms or uh, wild caught fishing in the seafood industry is sort of inherently extractive. You know, you're extracting resources um, from the ocean and from the planet and you're having a negative impact. And when you're extracting those resources, having a negative impact on the marine ecosystems. And a lot of the sustainability efforts in that um, and there's a lot of merit to these sustainability efforts for sure. Don't get me wrong, but they're in an effort to basically minimize the bad. And the idea behind regenerative agriculture in general, but also regenerative seafood is that by growing the seafood, you're not only not doing harm, but you're doing active good. Um, and so kelp, uh, when we farm it in the ocean, it grows incredibly quickly and as it, as it grows, it absorbs the excess carbon dioxide that we you know, throw off into the atmosphere. And in doing that, it um, actually, you know, one of the positive impacts is that it mitigates oceanic acidification on um, sort of a local coastal level. And so one example would be that ocean acidification is one of the leading factors driving biodiversity loss in marine ecosystems. And by growing kelp and by utilizing this regenerative ocean farming model, we can actually mitigate uh, the impacts of that ocean acidification while also producing you know, nutrient-rich food. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, that's, that's awesome. And so you have created a, a, a nutrient-rich food that is a kelp chip. So walk me through you, you you pull the so you, so the kelp is is farmed it's then harvested and is is it dried and then turned into chips is that sort of what what happens yeah that that's the idea and we've got sort of a unique manufacturing process because um to our our benefit and you know detriment uh 
kelp is not corn, wheat, rice, and potato and, and the ingredients that have dominated the snack food aisle for years. And so you can't necessarily process it and manufacture with it in, in the same way. And so we have a pretty unique manufacturing process, but um, uh, at the same time, that allows us to come up with a product that's both you know, really unique and also um, you know, nutrient rich, uh, especially relative to the sort of extruded fried snacks that have filled the snack aisle for a long time. Got it. And those are packed into, and this is where we're kind of getting into, get into some packaging stuff here, which is what yeah. I really love to talk about. Those go into, currently it's a, it, it's a stand-up pouch. Uh, my guess is from hearing your story, it's not going to be a normal multi-layer polyester, polyethylene, polypropylene kind of stand-up pouch. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So as a company that wanted to have a net positive impact on the oceans, obviously traditional petroleum-based plastics uh, were not very exciting for us. Just having seen the impacts that those have, um, which are certainly present in the United States, but as I was traveling around in the seafood ind uh, industry and spending time in places like Indonesia on the shrimp farms, it becomes even more stark. Um, and so we wanted to think of better solutions. Like at the end of the day, we're not a packaging company. And so we're sort of working with, you know, with the resources that are available and within the constraints of the industry that we, um, are, are working in. Um, but we wanted to help bring attention toward possible alternatives to um, yeah, the legacy, you know, multi-layer petroleum-based plastics that um, are never getting recycled and, uh, you know, can, uh, if handled incorrectly, have a pretty negative impact on, on uh, marine life. So we developed a, an industrially compostable pouch um, for our first sort of go around. Uh, that was an adventure. And now we're working on uh, a home compostable pouch that um, uh, is just a few adjustments from what we, we currently have and a, a new certification process. And then you know, separately, we have sort of explored zero waste grocery models, but there's just not a lot out there in the U.S. Um, in terms of kind of companies that are supporting that right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you said something interesting. You said uh, our, you said our first go at it was an adventure. And, and I know that oftentimes when it comes to, especially something like a stand-up pouch that requires some type of oxygen barrier, moisture mm -hmm. barrier, stuff like that, it, it can, is that the thing that was kind of adventurous as you were going through and testing? Was it the rigidity of the pouch? Was it, how did it seal? You know, how did it heat seal? What, what was the thing that was maybe the adventurous part about your, your first sort of go around with, is it a PLA construction? Um, no, it's, it's, uh, actually kind of a wood pulp based, uh, laminate, um, and the, the challenges that we had were mostly around the, the barrier property. So obviously for a snack food that has potential to go stale, you need pretty intense, uh, you know, level barriers 
most of the time the industry is using DOPP, which as you can imagine has um, very, very high uh, you know, moisture barriers. And so for us to kind of compete in the same segment and have the shelf life that the distributors and grocers are used to seeing from a salty snack that uh, salty snack products that are using BOPP, um, we had to come up with something that was pretty good. Uh, so um, we definitely, and, and uh, one of the good things about self-manufacturing and um, uh, you know, starting early on was that we were able to fail small so we didn't do like a 500,000 unit run with packaging that wasn't going to stand up. Um, we didn't do you know, massively large packaging orders with, you know, um, packaging that was faulty. Uh, and, and we did definitely have some failures. They thankfully ended up being relatively small failures that we could um, recover from. Um, but, but one of the, you know, the challenge with that is that you never really know, especially with these newer materials, how it's going to, you know, react to distribution and, um, you know, how the barrier properties are really going to stand up and it takes a long time to figure that out. So you can't, I mean, you can kind of sometimes do that accelerated, you know, uh, lab testing, um, that ends up being quite expensive, um, and doesn't always produce the best results. And even that takes a, a good bit of time. And so for us to like wait six months to see if our product survives in this packaging, you know, that's, it's a really, especially if you want to iterate on that, that's, um, can add up to very long periods of time. So. Hey, um, so sorry about that. When I was well. recording this interview with Pat, we ran into a little snafu, a little difficulty here. And so we had to break the interview and then restart it. I will say though, watch this. If you want to avoid breaks and snafus when it comes to your packaging specification data why don't you go to specright.com backslash pkg to learn more get your spec right or you're going to guess wrong all right let's get back to pat all right hey i'm back here with pat and uh, uh, with with 12 tides and pat as we're talking through here about packaging and in some of the some of the iterations and challenges you were having in terms of I love the idea of failing small. I love that you talked about that. I'm a big proponent of that within not just the packaging industry, but I talk with my kids about that. I talk with my friends about that, you know, like don't, you know, investment strategies and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, yeah, learn, learn inexpensive lessons. Right. So as you were, as you were iterating though, my, my question is how many times did you really have to iterate and fail small before you were like, all right, we've got something that we can really launch with. And are you only e-commerce or is there also a retail component? I didn't I don't know if I asked you that. No, we're, uh, we're mostly retail. And so um, we really had to solve for something that could have the shelf life. Cause obviously e-commerce and, and direct to consumer, you don't need an enormously long shelf life to sort of make that work. But you know, we had to get to at least six months in our category for you know, distributors and retailers not to to sort of throw up at the idea of, of this alternative packaging. Got it. Yeah. So that, that would make a lot more sense. So so before you were really ready to go after the, the retailers and say, like, we feel confident in our shelf life, how long did, did that process take you? And 
during that time, did you have to go through multiple different, you know, packaging manufacturers or did you have one that was like, Hey, we're going to ride or die with you. We fully believe in what you're doing. Let's make this happen. No, we went through multiple uh, packaging manufacturers in total. Um, and, you know, we were able to do this a little bit while we were kind of doing product development for the actual snacks. And so when we were at the farmer's market or when we were delivering directly to our first few grocery accounts, um, you know, we could iterate, you know, still be iterating on the packaging while we were doing all of that. And, um, you know, in total, we probably spent like 18 months in that kind of iteration phase. Uh, make sure we get the product right, make sure we get the packaging right. And we did experience with different materials from different manufacturers, not only packaging manufacturers, but also the actual material manufacturers so that we could, you know, dictate to the, the actual, you know, printer and, and manufacturer of the pouch, like exactly what materials that we wanted to be, to be used. And I, I think that was a big advantage for us. And I think that's something I would encourage other brands to do is to not only like lean on the packaging manufacturers to kind of tell you, you know, what they think or, or suggest materials, but like really dive into the materials themselves and understand, you know, what types of barrier properties does your product need and you know, what types of materials can deliver on those barrier properties. And you know, when we were able to basically dictate the combination of materials that we needed to um, or, or the material specifically that we needed to use for our snacks, I think, you know, that put us in a, a good position of, of confidence, I guess, because we weren't just um, kind of listening to the packaging manufacturer and, and hoping that it would, you know, perform as, as such. Uh, we had a good deal of, of confidence from working from the, the core material um, that it would work. Yeah. That's such a great point. Honestly, it's because like I've worked for packaging manufacturers for the last, I, I don't know, it's uh, 12 years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, the packaging manufacturer is, is likely going to, to recommend things that the, they can manufacture into packaging or they're confident yeah. they can manufacture into packaging. Obviously there's innovation and things like that, but when a brand comes to a manufacturer, in this case, a converter of stand-up pouches and roll stock film and says, I have this material that we have tested with this raw material supplier, that is, is a way faster path towards commercialization of that product than having to go back, having to go through the converter and only, right? I mean, it's a good thing to go. You can start with the converter, whether it's labels, whether it's corrugate, paper, flexible, you know, flexible films, these types of things. You can start with these converters, but it's an awesome idea to go straight to the manufacturer. I love that you did that. How many manufacturers did you really have to talk to before you found your groove with where you ultimately ended up? Um, quite a few, uh, probably like a dozen at least, um, you know, a, a dozen or more. Um, and yeah, we, I mean, we needed somebody that could, you know, be flexible and, and would be willing to, um, you know, work with the materials that we knew we wanted to work with, 
Um, and also, uh, you know, what, one of the advantages of really understanding your own materials was, you know, we've run into situations where, um, you know, the packaging manufacturer before a big run said, oh, like the shipment for this particular material is late. Can we like use this alternative material from the same supplier? And if you didn't really understand your material, you might just say like, yeah, I'm sure it's pretty close. Like if you recommend it, but we were very close to printing sort of a large run with, you know, an alternative material that most certainly would not have worked. And, uh, you know, having that sort of core understanding of the, the, the real, um, uh, core material there, I think, you know, it ended up saving, uh, saving us some, some real heartbreak on, on some of those production Ooh. runs. So, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, knowing knowing your material specifications, knowing the the having having that type of knowledge as a brand owner and not sort of having to outsource that is mm-hmm. is really critical, especially when you're dealing with something like a stand-up pouch that is both the primary and the secondary packaging. So it not only has to be protective of your product, make sure it gets through the the challenges and the trials and the tribulations of retail distribution, but that it also delivers on shelf that it that it creates connects with your consumers, and then add to that complexity that it delivers a good experience in the home, that it opens well, that it reseals well, and then that it has an end of life that is clearly communicated that they can then do, which it sounds like you're continuing to iterate to because the the there's a whole other podcast episode i'm i'm going to guess about the challenges with industrially composting packaging in the united states and will the infrastructure come up and so you know all of those challenges come into play when you're when you're dealing with something that seems so easy right you just put it in a pouch come on what's what's the problem here and and at the end of the day there there's a level of complexity and nuance to it that the general consumer may may just not quite understand for sure uh yeah so let me ask you this as we're kind of getting here towards the end like i said i i feel like i kind of opened up a whole a whole can of uh a whole bag of kelp there is that can i say that no uh with with industrial compost versus home compostable uh it sounds like you've already been through that you're you're working towards iterating into a home compostable solution um, but I really want to find out where you, you mentioned that you guys are in, are in retail primarily, are the, are you nationwide? How would people go get your product and what types of, what, what types of people would go get it? Obviously we've talked about, it's good for the planet with regenerative, um, uh, ocean, what do we call, ocean farming? Uh, you know, you've got the, the industrial compostable packaging. And so you can choose to be zero waste if you'd like to just make sure that you send it to the right place. But how would people who are wanting to do that go do it? Are they health conscious people? Is it general consumers? Is it kids? Is it adults? Like who should be taking, who should be eating this product? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say you can find us uh, nationwide on uh, Thrive Market. Okay. And we're also available in about 900 retailers, mostly up and down the West Coast. Um, from sort of Arizona uh, to Washington. And 
uh, in terms of you know, who would enjoy our snacks, um, you know, it's really a kind of better for you, better for the planet, um, you know, version of uh, potato chips. Um, and so I, I think there's a, and really, you know, what we were going for as we developed this snack was something that would be sort of a low barrier to entry, um, you know, for everyone to start, um, you know, to familiarize themselves with kelp and, and to start to incorporate kelp as a part of their um, everyday uh, everyday diet and effectively make that a larger part of the food system uh, in the U.S. And so, um, you know, it doesn't have maybe the taste profile that you might think of as sort of seaweed. Um, and so a lot of folks who maybe don't like fish or other seaweed snacks end up liking our snacks you know, quite a bit more and so um you know i think there there's a pretty uh, broad range of folks we've got a few different flavors uh so if you're a spicy person we got a spicy fit flavor if you're an everything bagel person we got an everything flavor we've also got the plane and a, a couple of new exciting flavors to be launching later this year sweet well, I'm going to try some spicy. Is there a way if I if I went to your website, could I check and see like what retailers you're in uh, or in and around the like I live in Salt Lake City um, or if it, if they're not, I could, can I just order some online? Yeah. Yeah. You can order them online. Uh, and yeah, we do have a store finder on our website as well. Perfect. And the website is 12tides.com. 12tides, 12tides.com. Uh, everyone go check it out. Pat, I am so grateful that, that you came here on my on my packaging podcast and and chatted about just your journey. And I hope my hope is that people listen to this and either one, you know, maybe somebody out there has like a really great home, home compostable solution that they can reach out to you with and say, hey, actually, we might have this thing and we're a material supplier, yada, yada, yada. Um, or, you know, there's just people who, who get really curious about regenerative ocean farming and what what kind of positive impact that can have on the planet along with their own diet and they check it out. Or, you know what, maybe both, right? So uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Pat. Thanks so much for joining me. And uh, I hope I hope you have an awesome uh, rest of your day and uh, rest of your week and keep, uh, keep going out there and, and changing the world for the better. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Hey, congrats. You made it to the end of the podcast. If you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.